Hello, interwebs, and welcome to Close Up. I'm your co-host, Joe. And I'm Ryan. It's the big end-of-year wrap-up, released in the new year, for you, where Ryan and I count down our top 10 best entertainment in 2023. Zooming into our medium shot now for a bit of context, this list, we figure it's good to include a little bit of everything. So, our lists could include movie, TV, video games. I personally won't have any video games or comic books on my list, because, as you all know, I'm very behind on those. I'm, like, in 2015 for games still. So, you won't see any 2023 games on my list. It's all movies and TV. Ryan, Mm. I can guess a couple that are probably going to be on your list. So, just a reminder (laughs) for you fussy people out there uh this isn't a an objective list of quality if there's anything on this list you think sucks uh too bad if there's anything you think we ranked badly also too bad because for my list specifically i i like i like quality of course and that's a factor in my determining uh of my rankings but i also rank a lot of them based on rewatchability for me i'm like yes yes objectively some movies are better than others. Also objectively, I mean subjectively to me, I like other ones better. I can see myself watching them again. Some I don't need to see ever again. And that's okay. But they're still good yeah. enough to make my best of list. So we're going to get into totally our close-up agree. now and uh, decide who's going first with a coin flip. Call it. Uh, Tails. Heads. I go first. Fuck. <laughs> it's happened again <laughs> uh, I'm just going to breeze through my honorable mentions here just because that's cheating to include them but I wanted to talk a little bit uh, honorable mentions Loki season 2 I was very impressed with this I wasn't even that big a fan of season 1 but Loki season 2 one of the best things Marvel's done in years it uh it gave a great ending for the character of Loki. Oh, oh yeah. We're trying not to spoil anything, by the way, just for you people worried. Uh, yeah, Loki season two gave a, a great finale for the character of Loki. Um, it it was a good ending to the show as well, and really cool sci-fi time travel plot. Just in general, as a as a fan of science fiction, I'd like it even if it wasn't a Marvel show. I think it was a big improvement over season one. Uh, next honorable mention across the Spider-Verse. I really liked this movie when it came out. In retrospect, I'm more and more bothered by that cliffhanger. Feels incomplete to me. Left me hanging. Really enjoyed a lot about it, of course. Fantastic animation. Some of the best in the business right now. Voice actors. Excellent. Really fun plot. Uh... <laughs> Going throughout the Spider-Verse, the different Spider-Man characters, Miles Morales, Gwen Stacy, great characters. Uh, The Spot's a cool villain as well, even though he drops out halfway through the movie. Uh, But that cliffhanger stops it from cracking my top ten, I think. Uh, Next one up, The Holdovers. For my money, a new holiday classic. Uh, Paul Giamatti's at the top of his game. Fantastic movie about just these kids who don't have anywhere else to go for the holidays they're stuck at school for the winter and this hard-ass teacher has to look after them it's it's a heartwarming movie it's a found family kind of affair it's 
got incredible throwback style to 1970s films. The way it's made, you'd be if you if I if you told me this movie was made in the 70s and then like a remaster of movie from the 70s and showed it to me, I believe you. It they got it that close, even down to the opening credits and everything. So great production design, costumes, everything felt authentic, and it's just a it's a great story set around Christmas. Uh, next honorable mention. Dungeons and Dragons. I think this is the best adventure movie I've seen in a long, long time. Also, the only movie I saw with you in person this year. Uh, it was a fun movie going experience. Chris Pine, the rest of the cast, all great in their roles. Uh, Hugh Grant plays a great villain. It's it, it goes to different realms of fantasy. There's a lot of fun action and banter and witty dialogue in there. And I just had a great time with the movies. One of my favorite movie going experiences of the year. Uh, next up guardians of the galaxy volume three. Perfect ending for the guardians franchise. Uh, the guardians trilogy, James Gunn, uh, he nailed it. Uh, felt all the feelings I was supposed to feel on that one. It's, the best Marvel movie I've seen in a very long time. It's really the last Marvel movie that I care about going forward personally, because it's Guardians was, I was there when Guardians was really big at the time. And most of the characters I've loved in the MCU have moved on. So, or are there, they're slowly being kind of ruined as it goes, but the Guardians got to go out on their terms and it feels like a last hurrah for me as an MCU fan. So between that and Loki, I'm I'm feeling okay about the MCU now. It can go forward. I'll be there with it. But I feel like I got some resolution this year with the MCU. So uh, I'm happy about that. Uh, do you have any honorable mentions or should I just do my number 10 to keep it even going forward? I got a few. Okay, let's do yours. I got a few. Then we'll get into yeah. our 10. Uh, so my honorable mentions <clears throat> to start off, it's kind of a weird one to start off. It's like the first part of Invincible season two okay, uh, and then mixed with the Adam Eve special. And the only reason it's an honorable mentions is because half the season hasn't come out yet. So I can't, yep. I can't personally put it in my top 10. If the rest of the season came out before, <clears throat> like before we filmed this, it would probably be in the top 10, but I agree. Uh, yeah, that's just me. Um, yeah, animation has gotten, you know, a, a bit better. The voice acting is as class as always. The storytelling is amazing. Character progression's great. And then uh, the Adam Eve special mixed in is probably one of the best origin stories I've ever seen put on to television in a very long time. Uh, next movie, or just first movie, is Blue Beetle. This is just kind of was like a surprise movie for me. Um, I didn't want to go see this movie, but we had to do something because we have a job and to review movies. And then when I went and saw the movie, I was like, I had a lot of fun. I have a lot of fun watching this. It took me by, it didn't take me by surprise in terms of story, but the characters were really funny. The overall like tone of the movie I felt wasn't all over the place. I thought it was, you know, the story was well paced. The humor was great and I had a blast watching it. Uh, another honorable mention was Ahsoka. 
Nice. And uh, this, yeah, this show uh, like flip flops for for me every time I think about it. I think, you know, Ahsoka just means so much to like me and you as like Star Wars fans because we grew up with the Clone Wars, and there's some really important, well, not important, but really amazing episodes in that show with you know some of the some of the stuff that they do flashbacks on. And uh, and all that. I almost spoiled it, but then you just told, remind me. We can't spoil. Um, Probably shouldn't this time. But then the, it just, the last few episodes for me kind of like teetered off a little bit. Not in terms of quality, but just in terms of just scale. I felt it could have been a bit more epic, but again, it's the first season of a show. Who knows what they're going to do in the second season, but I think they did uh, the character of Ahsoka really well. And she finally got her own show. Um, and just like you, my next show is Loki season two. I thought, you know, first couple episodes were a bit slow, but then it really started to push the boundaries of, I mean, like the quality of the, of the show just skyrocketed in the last few episodes, a great ending to Loki as a character after 13 years of him being on the big and small screen. Um, just an amazing just an amazing story for Loki and um, Tom Hilston um, probably deserves an Emmy nomination, I feel like, but you probably won't get one. Um, but yeah, just it. I had a lot of fun watching the show. It made me have hope for Marvel in the future, but who knows what happens. Um, next one is a little shocking to a lot of video games fans is Baldur's Gate 3. Okay. If I had... F- finished it, which I'm still on a playthrough, it would probably be in a top 10. However, I gotten more mad at this game <laughs> than I have been happy. And that's just because of me and my play style. I, it's just like, it's just, it's too hard. <laughs> it's too hard on normal. I don't like it. I get more mad when I'm in encounters than not, which, you know, makes sense. That's kind of how like D and D should be. Encounters should be tough. It shouldn't be have you just an absolute unit when you're that low level. That's just, you know, it, it makes sense. But um, yeah, I found the combat. The combat's great in it. The dialogue options is amazing. The role play is great. There's no DLC they have to attach on you. When you pay 80 bucks for it, you get the full game, which is great. And they keep releasing new updates every now and again, but they're always like a free epilogue or, um, or a pro yeah. Epilogue here and now and again, it's just a, a great role-playing game that, um, I will finish at some point, but it's made me more mad than, uh, than happy. So <laughs> I took a little bit of a break because I'm most at work. Um, I work at the time. All right. Last few, um, the Maple Leaf Stanley cup run. I know it feels like it's been a while. Uh, they won the first round this year, I was pretty hyped and then they'd all crash and burn. So that sucks. But it was a it was a good high for about a week. Uh, so there's that. And then another honorable movie, um, which would have been number 10, but a surprise movie knocked it out, is the Super Mario Brothers movie. I know ah, people yeah, don't yeah. like this movie. I think that's But I had I, a lot of fun watching it. I think I'm the I like it, but even I'm in the minority for not loving it. I yeah. Think, I think most people liked it though. Yeah, it it would it probably be a tie for ten, but I'm not cheating this year. Um, I had a lot of fun watching this. Is it safe? Yes, but do 
you get everything that you would want to see in a Mario movie, yes. And uh, Peaches should be nominated for an Oscar. Apparently, it's not going to be, which sucks. Um, All right, last two. Air, uh, the movie about, you know, uh, making the Air Jordans with Matt Damon and um, Ben Affleck. Great little classic Ben Affleck, Matt Damon movie. Really simple. Viola Davis playing uh, Michael Jordan's mother is the most perfect casting I've ever heard. Um, really fun movie, really great, really entertaining, very well directed by Ben Affleck. Overall, just a good time. And then the final movie, which I just saw, is uh, The Iron Claw. Really good story. The acting is phenomenal. Um, yeah, there's just some parts that all next week or yeah, next week. There's just some parts of it that I will that I feel are not missing, but just uh, stops it from making my top ten. But that's all the honorable mentions. Okay, so number 10 for me is The Color Purple. I just saw this one in the last week, but it made an immediate impression on me. Um, I, it, with some shame, admit that I haven't seen the original one from the 80s. With even more shame, I didn't even realize this was a remake until after I saw it. And then I'm like, oh, wait, this is one of the only... Is this the musical or... Yeah. Okay. And then I realized, oh, wait, that's one of the few Steven Spielberg movies I haven't seen. Why haven't I? Yeah, shoot. Okay, I got to find it somehow. Some way. I'll watch that one eventually. But this is my first experience with the color purple story, and I adore it. I didn't even really know this was a musical going in, but I was very, very impressed with it. The music, it's got that uh, bluesy style and it just, something about it, I vibe the entire time. I'm just bobbing my head throughout most of the movie, just the singing, the rhythms, just something about it speaks to my soul, gave me, gave me chills, just, it did something for my soul for a lot of it in a way that a lot of music doesn't hit me, so I just, it was an experience for me, uh, a very, a very memorable one. Um, I think Fantasia Barino as Seely is maybe the best performance I've seen this year in a movie. If she's not at least nominated for an Oscar, I will riot. She was incredible in this movie. It's a great film because it, it's very emotionally complex. It's. A lot of these, uh, a lot of stories like this would double down on the trauma of it all, which most of it is about trauma and how sad Celie's life is and all that. But I think it's pretty crazy how they managed to weave not weave her trauma alongside the joy she finds in life as well, love and happiness, even with a little bit of suspenseful moments in there and. It's uh, it, it, just connection, community. It's all the different types of human emotion all in this complex life of this woman, which, once again, the story is largely about how a lot of things around her kind of suck, but it's more about the the good parts of life she finds to alleviate those sucky parts and make life worth living and 
break out of those bad traps in which she finds herself to lead her most fulfilling life and surround herself with the most fulfilling people. And it's about love curing wounds and making you feel like you're good enough to do things you never thought you could do. Uh, it's a journey of self-exploration and it's just very affecting for me. Um, it was, yeah, it's a very good story. Uh, great production values. Uh, the dancers are great. The singers are incredible as well. The acting is top tier. Uh, I, I just felt like I was being led on an emotional journey through this richly re realized time and place, Georgia and the early 1900s, I feel like I really understood this community and this time and place and what mattered to these people and what life was like at that time. It's just great film all around. Beautiful movie. Hope to see it get some love in the award season. Good choice. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard of like the color purple, like the eighties movie. And then also like the musical as well. I know they did like a Broadway run. Um, yeah. a few years ago and I'm pretty sure it won a couple Tonys. This which, movie is you know. based yeah, the musical well I think they're both based on a, a book but yes. uh, this movie is based on that musical. Mm, yeah. It's like there's a weird trend with that going around right now. Like there's a Mean Girls remake but it's based off the musical that's based off the original movie. It's really, it's funny. I'm worried that it's coming out in January but I'm actually excited for it. Casino Faze involved. I am too. It looks decent. But the problem is with the Mean Girls movie, they're not marketing it as a musical. Like, their first trailer was not... It was so weird. Like, you yeah. have some of the most... You have, like, one of the most popular young, like, artists, Renee Rapp, like, being the Regina George, and you're not going to show her, like, sinning? See, it's funny. It's really the, color pur the Color Purple trailer didn't really do that either. Like, my What's family watched... <laughs> and like Wonka, Wonka didn't do that either. I just watched that this morning, and that was a musical too. Apparently, I didn't realize that until I got in theater. So I strange. Like, yeah, I don't know what Hollywood's doing. Maybe because musicals have a bad name now, people are like, hmm, "I don't want to watch a musical," so they just advertise it like it's not, and then trick you into liking it. You come away, oh, that was pretty good after all, and I wouldn't have given it a chance. I don't know. I could see that being the strategy. But it's weird that it's happening so commonly now. I can see right? one movie doing yeah. it, but why did multiple in the last few months do it? I don't know. I don't know. It's really strange. All right, my number 10 comes in a shocker for me and for probably the rest of the podcast, and including you. Here we go. It's a movie that I didn't watch for the longest time and a movie you begged me to watch. And one night after work, I came home. It's a funny story. I was like, I'm going to make some popcorn, but I don't want to watch like an episode or something. I want to watch something like a movie pop All up right. on Crave. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize it was on Crave this week. I'll plug it in and watch it. And I turned out, it turns out I surprisingly really like this movie. And that movie was Barbie. Yes. I finally watched it. Okay. Look, the thing about Barbie, I just got to interject a sec. <laughs> just because... Justin pointed me out to me the other week, 
as the chief listener of this show, he he knows a lot of the lore. And he pointed out to me that we haven't talked about Barbie on the show before. I could swear I would have mentioned it on a leisure list or something. Somehow a complete oversight on my part for the last year. You didn't end up watching it, so that is 100% my bad. So I'm I'm glad you're talking about it now just to remedy this error. Yeah. This is great, and we should have talked about it before now. It's really funny hearing all the different opinions about Barbie, where some people thought it was really overly political or really dumb, or some people thought it was the most emotional movie that they've seen that year. To that, I In my opinion, yes. it's none of that. <laughs> In my opinion, it's like none of that. Like, there is some emotional parts to it, but it just kind of feels... It's like hard, I guess because I'm not a woman, it's hard for me to connect to it where it's like, oh, I don't want to be like a regular Barbie anymore. And it's just like, it's like, okay. But like, besides like that criticism, the movie is gorgeous. It's just a gorgeous looking movie. And yeah, you can tell they're on sets, but it's a real set. And the, and I just couldn't get over the lighting. The lighting in this movie is phenomenal. Everybody looks hot. Like everybody looks gorgeous. The makeup is stellar and the comedy is just really funny at times. My favorite joke, I'm not kidding, is probably when um, I think it's Alexander Ship, that Barbie character. She's like, I found myself caring about when they were talking about Zack Snyder's Justice League. <laughs> I howled at that because both you and me were obsessed with that movie yeah. <laughs> when it was coming out. And I thought it was so funny. And it just made me realize a lot of men can't take a joke. <laughs> I just I like, cause for, I guess over the past hundred years of cinema, there's been so much for lack of better phrase, woman bashing in media that there's been so many jokes about how like women are less than or whatever. As soon as like a uh, female led director or female led creative project pokes fun at men, they get so butthurt about it. It's really funny to me, but it's like, take a joke. I wasn't offended. I thought it was really well, funny. You see, I think the thing is the difference is in tone to me. A lot of the, a lot of the things, if you go back to that history, like you said of, well, just blatant misogyny, that's bad. But a lot of movies nowadays bad. are taking the exact opposite approach and bashing men in the same way. But suddenly that's right now, just because you're attacking the group that had more power for a while, but you're using the same kind of rhetoric, but now you're doing it. So it's okay. Barbie. And, and I think a lot of men have their backs up with female led projects, just because that seems to be the tone around a lot of them, or even male led projects with prominent female producers and stars at the helm. Um, Barbie was not like that though. Barbie was, well, the entire point of Barbie is that men versus women is stupid and we should work together to create exactly. a better society. Matriarchy and patriarchy are both inherently flawed ideas. No one group should have all the power because that just leads to the minorities feeling underappreciated, underrepresented, resentful. That's the whole point is about mm -hmm. actual equality. It's not men are bad. It's society is flawed and one group shouldn't have all the power being told through a very feminist character with a lot of feminist themes, but that's 
But to me, it, it's actual feminism, which is reaching for equality, not tearing men down. Yes. For like you, you can prop women up without tearing men down. It's like let's let's get us on the same level, not try to tear each other down for petty reasons or even yeah good reasons. As yeah, I thought the message like. And the I think what the best thing about Barbie is is that the message in it it's not a simple one. It really does just make you think. Where it's like yeah. both both sides suck by themselves. You have to have like you have to have each other work together in order to have like a very progressive society, which hopefully will work out one day. But forget regardless of the messaging, I just the performance in this movie is great. I think Margot Robbie is She's obviously she's stunning, but she's hilarious. Her comedic timing is phenomenal. Even when like the turning point of the movie where she meets up with the real life girl who she thinks is like her, her owner, like the Barbie version. Yeah. Her just like <laughs> immediately crying face is so funny. She's like, it's like, why are you crying? Or it's like, cause I'm stereotypical Barbie or just like something like that. Really funny. I think she, I could see, Greta Gerwig, Margot Robbie, and Ryan Gosling winning the three major categories like all year. I hope so. When I when we talked about what the because I also rewatched Oppenheimer, who's going to get the supporting actor if it was Ryan Gosling or Robert Downey Jr. I was pulling for Robert Downey Jr., but that was before seeing Barbie. <laughs> it's it's Ryan Gosling. Like it's he's done such he's, a phenomenal job. He steals the limelight in that movie. It is a it's a like a generational performance. It's so iconic. Look, the thing is, in the Barbie movie and in real life, nobody cares about Ken. He's just Barbie's boyfriend who comes with some Barbie dolls. He's he's an, Ken's an accessory to to Barbie's world. So the fact that Ryan Gosling made Ken such stand out in such a memorable way to the point where people Wear Ken merch, the I'm Ken off t-shirts, the I'm just Ken song is the most viral one from the movie. It's so good. It's a hilarious song. Yeah. I, Yeah, it's incredible. But I also like Ken's message in this movie because I I think Ken's story, once again, talking about the, the politics behind it, it mirrors a lot of men today. A lot of men in this society, once again, where, um, bashing men has become a lot more common than it used to be you have a lot of these guys who like they discover the idea of patriarchy and then go like become alpha bros just to compensate because they can't find that middle ground they went from being bashed on to going exactly the other way just to compensate but really he just wants to meet in the middle i like when he breaks down in front of barbie and he's like well I like to be honest. I lost interest in the patriarchy when I found out it wasn't about horses. <laughs> Sorry, you're muted. Oh, do you know how funny that is to me now that I work at Medieval Times? <laughs> <laughs> it just like it made me laugh more. It's like I thought it was just about horses. Like, why can't that be everyday life? <laughs> exactly. But I also like how it, the first time he went to Men's World is the first time anyone saw any value in him. So that's, yeah, I, it was, yeah, it's really yeah. funny, yeah, and so how he very, portrays it. Yeah, they're very good at, oh, this is the first time Barbie 
experiences misogyny, and this is the first time Ken experiences respect. So they both get to see the other side of the coin in real life, and it gives them a good balanced perspective. But I also think it's very interesting about how she doesn't know where she belongs. She's the Barbie everyone thinks of when you think Barbie, but she's not really special beyond that. She's got no place in the world or a real reason for being. So just figuring out who she wants to be, that's a really good story as well. Very, I didn't expect the Barbie movie to get philosophical about the meaning of life. To tear down, yeah. to tear down societal expectations of men and women, get philosophical about the meaning of life and be the funniest movie I saw last year with some of the best production design. It, it was all around great and just, it narrowly avoided my top 10. There was just yeah. others I liked more. Also, Kate McKinnon is never not funny, so... Yeah. Fantastic casting for Weird Barbie. <laughs> Kate McKinnon, her shtick, I'm hit or miss on it. Sometimes it's funny, <sighs> other times I'm okay. I've I've seen you. Just forget about that Ghostbusters movie, Joe. He's she's done <laughs> amazing stuff. <laughs> I, I haven't even seen it. I'm like, you're good. Kate, Kate McKinnon is funny, but a little bit one note. I feel like it's always the same joke with her. And it was funny when I I watched her on SNL. I've seen a lot of her. But Right. Yeah, she's she she always commits. I'll say that. Anyway, number nine, the Iron Claw. I'm going to refrain from talking too much about this one just because we're doing a whole episode on it. Um, I don't care about wrestling at all, but this movie left me misty eyed, which is incredibly rare for me. Uh, I cared about all the characters. Zac Efron is a unit. I don't know how he bulked up that much. It's like, well, all of them, but specifically Zac Efron. Holy crap, man. Best performance of his career. Uh, All the performances were really incredible. It's this great family story. Very complex story about uh, sports and mental health and family dynamics just one of the saddest movies I've ever seen probably um had no idea about the Von Erich family going in walked out just with the utmost sympathy for all they endured and uh not a lot of movies provoke that level of empathy in me so it's I thought it was very well done uh but I'll Go more in depth. Spoiler talk. Next week's episode of Close Up. Stay tuned. Yeah. That was good. It was good. It was just the reason why it's not in my top 10 is that it's too sad. That's just, uh, and I found I've went a little bit more entertainment. Well, that's going to come back to bite me in the ass later. Now that, <laughs> now that I think about it. Um, it's still a great movie. I still loved it. I love yeah. the performances. Um, yeah. Good, good movie. Uh, my number nine, I'm actually going to switch eight and nine around last minute. I'm number nine. I'm going to put <gasps> Guardians of the Galaxy volume three. Okay. Um, here's up 10. Uh, great movie. I, again, Joe went on like a binge this past week. He's seen like seven movies in three days in the theaters. Six, so. six movies in seven days. All right. <laughs> on, tu- on Tuesday, I saw Godzilla minus one skip Wednesday, Thursday. I saw the color purple 
Friday, I saw Aquaman, The Lost Kingdom. Saturday, I saw The Iron Claw. Uh, Sunday, I saw Ferrari. Monday, I watched Wonka. And we're recording Monday night. So that's that's where I'm at right now. I don't plan to see any more this week. Or probably for most of January. I yeah. Think I'm also, you saw, poor, you saw poor things a few weeks ago, and I was extremely jealous. <laughs> I think it's finally getting a wider release now, so... Is it? I really I need to see that movie. It looks so weird. It's got Emma Stone, and I want to see it so bad. But uh, yeah, Guardians Volume Three. I this was the movie that I was like, oh yeah, if you make if you allow a director to make a movie and not have a paint by numbers superhero movie, it can be phenomenal. I think James Gunn loves these characters, and it really shows, especially with Rocket. Rocket has the most sad backstory ever. Um. What his like first word ever? What was it? Pain, like that's his yeah, first word ever, so. or something like that. It's really sad. I didn't think I could feel sad for a CGI raccoon. I actually don't like raccoons. They're little vicious monsters. Because we live in the city of Toronto. I do. Excuse me, but yeah, he's just just a great overall story where, um, you know, uh, Rocket is. You know, he's sick. They need to save. <clears throat> they need to save him, uh, get this code from the, oh, what's the villain's name? I've already forgotten it, which is kind of sad. What's his name? Uh, I don't remember right now. Guy with the face. Guy with the face. He's a guy uh, with the face. The something. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, um, he, he's like, a, and so they're trying to save him, but also there's this tension between Quill and... Gamora because it's the Gamora from like 2014 but Peter still thinks it's you know uh, Gamora from before the snap and it, there's just this little like somewhat romantic tension between the two but also high evolutionary that's what it is um, so there's that and uh, of course Dave Batista is as funny as ever and as Drax um, him and Mantis have great chemistry. I also love the little cameos you would see, like Nathan Fillion's cameo was absolutely hilarious when he's in, he's like a security guard, but he's in that weird, like flesh bubble suit thing. You know what? Uh, My friend's an idiot too. Yeah. He's an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. The production design of this movie was really stellar. I thought it looked great. It felt more of like a Guardians movie than past than the last Guardians movie we saw, which is kind of strange I, to say, which I don't know, maybe because of the different planets they went to in this movie. Um, but yeah, the high ev uh, evolutionary, probably one of my favorite Marvel villains to come out in recent memories, just because of how just evil he is and how ruthless he can be. And I just love how cocky he is too. I thought um, the actor put on an amazing performance. Um, Chug Witty Uigi. I apologize. For this. I apologize if I butchered that name because I know I did. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, I just thought. I think the one thing that's holding me me back for it to be higher is just the uh, 
it's so much like I, I it this makes no sense but like if you're watching these three movies as like a trilogy one two and three there's such a gap between two and three that you're like why does Gamora hate Quill now but the that's just a Marvel War. problem you gotta yeah. watch Infinity War and Endgame in the middle and, and mm. I love how James Gunn even apologized for it in the middle yeah I, yeah. I, I messed up half the universe uh, oops <laughs> <laughs> oops but yeah, I just uh, a great movie that you know Marvel still has a chance to you know let directors <laughs> direct or write instead of being like, hey, we made this script by our uh, Feige AI robot, and uh, we just need a name attached to it. Can you make this movie? Yeah, sure. But yeah, that's my number nine. I like how well going back to Star Lord apologizing. I like how James Gunn was basically apologizing for how the Russo brothers handled Star Lord in the Avengers movies and star Lord became public enemy number one in the Avengers (laughs) fandom for a very long time. So it was shocking to me how guardians three redeemed him so wholeheartedly in every way. Like, Oh wait, no, we all like star Lord again. And set it out on a high note. I also love the tension in this movie, right? Cause it's the last guardians movie. We know James Gunn's leaving for DC and anything could go in this one. Anyone could die at any time. And there were a lot of moments where you think they will, and maybe they do. It's hard to, it's hard to know. So there was actual stakes in this movie. Yeah, it was uh, insane stakes. Very impressive. My number eight is The Last of Us. Okay, best video game adaptation ever, probably. And the secret. What do you know? Well. Secrets, a couple things. First part of the secret. Actually don't try. try. To con- for, well, kind of. First part of the secret is don't try to condense dozens of hours of gameplay into a two-hour movie. Miniseries is the perfect way to do it. An eight-episode show doesn't get you absolutely everything, but it's better than if they tried to make a movie out of The Last of Us. Second thing, you actually... Hire the people who did the game. You get Neil Druckmann involved. You get the composer for the game. You get the voice actor who did the clickers. You get Ashley Johnson and a couple other uh, the actors in there to cameo. You actually show respect to the source material and don't hold your hand up to it like film and TV industry is so much superior to the video game industry. We don't want anything to do with you. We'll do it better than you 100%. Don't even, we don't want your input at all. We, we were tasked to do this and we're doing it our way. That my way or the highway mindset's why so many adaptations fail. They don't, that it proves very early on that they're egotists who don't really respect the source material. This show. Just look at the Halo show. Yeah. Uh, this show actually, like, well, it tried. Um, it, it put its ego aside and brought people on board to make it feel like The Last of Us. The production value in the world feels just like I remember in the game, but it also looks great as well. Uh, Pedro Pascal, Bella Ramsey, fantastic adaptations of Joel and Ellie. A little different to the game, but that's, that's fine. They worked very well for what this TV show was doing, and they felt close enough to the characters. Sure, you could say it's stripped back on the action from the games, but I think that made the show better because when the action finally does go down, 
in later episodes, it feels all the more scary. If you just see them taking out clickers left and right, the whole show, it doesn't feel as impactful when the action finally throws down. Uh, but what I loved about it was the way it told the story. Because once again, another criticism, a lot of people say, oh, I wish it followed Joel and Ellie the entire way through, put more focus on them. I disagree. I think Joel and Ellie were a perfect frame tale for the show, but I loved how every episode told these basically self-contained episodic stories about life in the apocalypse that Joel and Ellie see as they pass by. Episode one was about Sarah. Episode two was about Tess. Episode three was Bill and Frank. Episode four was Kathleen. Episode five was um, Sam and Henry. Episode six was some other. Per- I don't. I don't remember. Who- episode seven was David. Episode eight. Episode eight was finally Joel and Ellie, uh, and how their story culminates. Um. I'm just going all based on memory. Now I saw this show months and months. It was like 11 months ago. It came out almost a um, year ago. Yeah. Yeah. But I still remember it. I haven't looked up my old notes for it or anything, but very memorable uh, adaptation and just a good show in its own right. Um, made me feel a lot of the feelings I was supposed to feel. It's just, I think it's a great way to get, it's a good gateway for people to get into the last of us. I love that it brought that story to people who wouldn't otherwise have seen that story. If they didn't want to bother playing a video game, they still got a great and mostly faithful show out of it, which can stand as a work of art in its own right. Last of Us was incredible. I totally agree. It is much higher on my list, so I will I refrain so. from yeah. giving my opinion on it. Um, I love doing these videos. I love doing the top 10 because Joe always surprises me with the way he puts his top 10. So I get a few surprises here and there. Uh, You Um, surprise me on occasion too. All right. So my number eight now recently bumped up because I just remember how fun this movie was. Is Dungeons and Dragons Honor Month Thieves. All right. Oh, man. I had so much fun watching this movie. And this is the movie that I saw when I didn't even know anything about Dungeons and Dragons. You were then just after, getting into it. Like, I yeah, think we just, just done our episode where I explained the game to you. Or did I do it after? I don't remember. I think it was think like, it was a one-two before. Point. Yeah, yeah. I think we, I, I did know. that video and then we watched the movie the week after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was really funny. It was a f- great week. Um, I think I also like just recently quit my job too. So it was in this like euphoric state of like, I can do anything. Uh, but yeah, really fun movie. Chris Pine is one of the best leading men in Hollywood. I don't care what anybody says. Like, <laughs> he's yeah. just so funny. He's so charismatic. And I just love all the characters in that movie. I mean, we did a whole episode on this movie, but it, it, it was great. I mean, I just, I had tons of fun. I still get some of the references when going back and knowing some of the game. Um, or, uh, yeah, some of the tabletop game. It's 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 just a fun movie. It kind of, I think it bombed at the box office, or I can't remember. But no, it did, it did okay. It, it did okay? Okay, good. Um, I don't think it did it, great numbers, but it didn't... Yeah, it should have. should have done great. And if they make more of these movies, I I hope Chris Pine's in them. I hope they do that thing that you told me where it's like, it's all the same core actors, but they're different actor. characters. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be so funny. 
That's my um, preferred way to see them go. I just think that'd be a great way to do it. They all the actors just play different classes. Yeah, they don't they don't carry the same characters. Oh, I I just think that'd be a great way to do a sequel and keep it fresh. It'd be really cool. I just, it just I think they did. I'm I mean they did the source material really well. They didn't treat it as a joke. I was really afraid that they were going to do the joke ending that I told you and Justin right before where it's like, it's in the final fight. He goes to the final, final strike. And then you see someone roll a D 20 on, on a table. (laughs) Yeah. I remember telling Justin that and he audibly went, Oh no, they're going to do that. (laughs) No, they just, they kept it in the pocket, kept it a fantasy movie. If this Um, movie came out in like 2017, it totally would have done that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't yeah. really have a whole lot more to say about it. I did a spiel up top. I just love the acting, love the adaptation of the game. Great adventure movie. Uh, just probably the most fun I had in theaters this year. Yeah. A lot of movie. the other things on my list are a little more heavy. <laughs> uh, evidently. Speaking of heavy, number seven, Killers of the Flower Moon. Okay. This one, this one's what I like to go see movies for. It's told a story which I wasn't familiar with whatsoever. And it took real life people and real life tragedy that's so epic you'd think it was fiction and blended it in a way that doesn't feel like a documentary feels like I'm immersed in a world following human beings play out these events in their lives. It's I love me some fiction movies, but when you get a story this fascinating in real life, it deserves to be told. Uh, It's, it's a very, Oh, I lack the words at the moment. It's a, powerful story of uh of a community and uh, it's it's a it's like the color purple as i was saying earlier it does such a great job of exploring its time and place i really understood this uh this place as martin scorsese depicted it this on the surface the uh, the white Americans and the Osage people are a society in harmony, but under the surface, there's all this tension and coercion, political maneuvering, and murder and and deceit, and and a lot of times they they kind of know something sketchy is going on, but they just don't have the power to fix it or. They convince themselves sometimes that they don't have the, or that nothing's going wrong, really. I think, um, like Molly, for a lot of it, is like, oh, all these tragedies happen, but she doesn't really want to believe that it's the people she knows doing it to her and her family. That's a big part of it. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's fantastic in it. Big standouts to me, though, Lily Gladstone and Robert De Niro. Incredible. Phenomenal performances. Uh, the production values are great. The, the costumes, the sets, um, most of it was, it looked like most of it was 
pretty practical, which was very impressive to me. Um, Robbie Robertson's score, one of my favorite I've heard this year. It was super badass. I love it. That's another one that I just vibe with here in the music. It's very strong themes, which I think are still relevant today with uh, tensions between um, our current North American governments and the First Nations peoples. There's a lot of unresolved justice to this day, which kind of gets brushed under the rug. So it's important to tell these stories. Yeah, yeah, these injustices happened 100 years ago, but they still haven't really been acknowledged and resolved we just kind of kept doing other things that we still probably haven't heard about um i also thought it was very interesting that they talked about tulsa oklahoma multiple times in the movie which was it was a very interesting parallel because you had this affluent black community which was destroyed you had this affluent first nations community which was destroyed Okay, well, we're starting to see a trend here. Anytime minority cultures start to finally get a leg up, oh, nope, can't do that. Uh, we will tear it down, say the American powers that be, or Canadian too, really. But uh, that's a slightly different political sphere. Um, yeah, Killers of the Flower Moon, great, thought-provoking movie story that I'm not used to seeing. Um, but it's also a great family story as well. It's, it's very complex in that, okay, I want to help my family. Thanks, Ernest. I want to, I want to help my uncle because he's done a lot for me, but also my wife and children. Where do my loyalties lie here? Um, and he's pulled back and forth between the two worlds because he doesn't want to hurt his family, but he also wants to stay loyal to his original family as well. And it's it, it's very complex. He's kind of half in both worlds. But it also kind of yeah. keeps you guessing, too, because not not all the white people are evil. Uh, and But you never know who's good until it all shakes mm-hmm. out. It's kind of, well, are are you just marrying these people for their money or are you actually a good guy? And we don't know because there's so many awful people in this movie. So it's right. uh, it's a very interesting movie. It keeps you, keeps you invested the whole way through. It's long, but I, I felt locked in the entire time. Uh, incredible. <laughs> yeah. Funny enough. Uh, it's also my number seven, so oh, cool. <laughs> we just go right back to you right after this. But yeah, um, yeah, it was one of these movies that, again, it, it wasn't anything like in terms of epic scale, like you, you see those Martin Scorsese movies, but it's one of those movies that he needed to just send out a message, and the way he did it was probably the most respectful way that he could. And, you know, the murders being depicted on screen are so eerily real. It made me uncomfortable to watch. It um, wasn't showy. Yeah. Is the thing. It was it very was realistic. Just, yeah. It was objective shots. Like, okay, mm-hmm. we're going to show this thing being happened, but we're not going to stylize it so you can understand the brutality of it. Just yeah. watch it and take from it what you will. It's pretty wild. I mean, his directing style is still one of the best, you know. Um, 
Ernest is a very complex character, and I love seeing that in a lead role. Uh, Leo does a phenomenal job um, playing him because he's very, he can be manipulative, but he's also an idiot. He's more so manipulated than manipulating. Um, Robert De Niro probably puts on one of his best performances in his entire career. Just an absolute slime ball of a human and shows really no remorse for it. Um, Lily Gladstone, I think, is a front runner for all the awards. I did just say Barbie was as well, but um, she's a lot of, phenomenal it's in year. it. It's a good year. It's a good year for awards. And I'm sure we'll do a video like right before the Oscars of who our picks to win are. Or yeah, whatsoever. we did last year. Um, we should do it again. Mm-hmm. I'll still nominate the Batman. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Every year until it happens. Until it happens, until they fucking win something. No. Um, yeah, just one of those movies that, yes, it's very long, but it needed to be told. And I'm, you know, it's Martin Scorsese, so I give him his filmography for what he's produced. I w- I'm fine with the runtime. Do you need a break? Yeah. Go take a break if you need to. You know, it's no one's expecting you to sit and watch something for three and a half hours, but uh, like straight. But yeah, it's 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 one of those movies that it's like the reason why it's so good, in my opinion, is because it was true. It's a real life story that I didn't know anything about it. And the fact that Martin Scorsese felt such a personal like relationship to this history and what happened in America and the fact that he really wanted to tell it, I thought is really moving. So, and I'm glad I saw it. And uh, yeah, one of the best movies he's probably made. Yeah. All right. So my number six, I'm basically dressed like him. John Wick. Chapter four. John Wick is also my number six. <laughs> really? <laughs> Let's go. Okay. All right. I did a last minute switch around before this, before this podcast. <laughs> Sweet. John Wick chapter four. A movie that, while the first movie should never have been anything but a direct uh, DVD, low budget action flick starring Keanu Reeves, whatever, eye roll, redefines the action genre. John Wick Chapter 4, oh, the fourth movie in this franchise. Man, they must be running out of steam. Um, Actually, it's the best one. It's the best one. <laughs> Somehow. Uh, the story was the most epic this time around. The action was somehow even better than ever with some of the most memorable sequences in a series that's all memorable sequences. Uh, since yeah, the first I one. mean, the steps... The fight with um around the arc to oh, that one stunt man, the one stunt man in the fat suit, the oh, fight yeah, between yeah. um Kane and the other uh the the Japanese swordsman. I can't remember his name. Like it's been a while oh, since yeah, I've that, watched that this character, movie. Yeah, that fight as well. Just with the katanas. Yeah, great. And Bill Skarsgård as the antagonist. Phenomenal performance. Yeah, Just, the uh, the pistol. The pistol fight. Pistol, the yeah. So uh, good. The fight at the at the hotel that was just before the or at, and after the katanas. Yeah, well. yeah. The dragon uh, breath shotgun. Oh, the, sequence, the dragon just, breath. The oh. top down. The top down sequence. Oh my god! The, holy crap! This movie. It's the best action movie I've seen this year by a landslide. 
by far. Most action movies suck now because they're way over. Uh, they put too many special effects shots in just to say, oh, well, we did special effects, but it's it's too uncanny valley. You got an interesting shot, but it lacks weight and realism because it's not a stunt guy doing it for real. Or if a stunt guy, I can understand them doing it for safety sometimes. Like, yes, a stunt guy could theoretically do this, but you're probably going to die doing it. Okay. Okay, do CGI. But if a stunt person can do it, then they may Safely. as well do it because it it looks better on camera and it feels more mm-hmm, real to the sure. audience, especially when we know that's the case. CGI always has this bit of weightlessness and unreality to it that, yeah, it doesn't, we don't feel the stage because we know they're not real. Like just in the unconsciousness of our mind that... The fact that somebody could have gotten hurt making this movie is enough to feel danger for the characters. Because, yeah, we know Mm -hmm. the stunt person probably didn't die in real life, but they could have. So this actually is dangerous. And John Wick is... Well, I'll I'll thank the stunt people of Hollywood for putting their lives on the line for our entertainment. Because you did a bang-up job on this one. Somehow, you still make it fresh. Four movies and nearly 10 years in fantastic movie. I need to rewatch this movie because my theater experience was terrible with that one oh, yeah. couple that just wouldn't stop talking. No, but yeah, just phenomenal movie. Some of the best action I've seen in recent years. Um, it's just Keanu Reeves just cements himself as just an action icon just in the space. And yeah, just it's so many iconic moments in, in just chapter four and just it being sort of, not the end, but just if it is, quote unquote, the final chapter. Um, Good I wouldn't. Oh wait, yeah, it'd be. Yeah, I would. I wouldn't be mad. Um, great, great movie all around. I haven't seen the Continental though. It's like a three episode thing, and I haven't heard, heard it's that great. <laughs> I've heard mixed things on it. I don't yeah, really know. But, yeah, John Wick Chapter Four. Great movie. Love it. Everyone should see this movie. So good. Hundred percent. My number five is Poor Things. Which, okay, Poor Things is not going to be for everybody, okay? Justin and I started watching this movie, and less than five minutes in, we both had our heads in our hands just about, and we were... (sighs) Okay, so it's going to be one of those movies, isn't it? It's going to be one of those artsy movies that's just weird for the sake of being weird and I'm going to have to sit through over two hours of this <sighs> we came all the way to downtown Toronto just to see this in VIP cinemas because it was the only way it was playing we spent extra money on these tickets oh my lord what did we do this is going to suck and then it was amazing the thing about poor things is you got to the movie is not going to bend for you. You have to bend to it. You're going to be freaked out for the first few minutes. When Willem Dafoe is blowing bubbles out of his mouth, you're going to want to walk out of the theater. But then you just, you sit with it. You just, you let the weirdness wash over you. You take it on, you, you come up to its level. 
don't don't expect it to play down to you and you're you're gonna get a lot out of this movie i figure it's look after the movie finished justin and i talked about it for over an hour on our ride back home and then the next day at work we spent another solid hour talking about it we spent as much time talking about this movie as the movie ran long and we never repeated ourselves once in what we had to say about it there is so much deep meaning in this movie on a textual level in the acting in the subtext in in the writing in the cinematography the colors it's one of the best films I've seen this probably the second best film I've seen this year on a technical level I I don't think I've ever been able to pick out so much color theory on a first watch as I have in this movie once I figured out what the colors represented there was a whole freaking second layer to this movie that was being told through visuals that then I started looking out for it I'm holy crap this is Oh wow, you're you're I telling the whole story just color through theory. colors and hmm? <laughs> I do love me some color theory. <laughs> uh then you're gonna love this movie. Once you figure out what the colors all represent, you start looking around the sets and seeing, oh, okay, that this object in this set is this color, so that's what the main character is thinking about it. Uh Emma Stone gives fantastic performance because she's basically playing the mind of a child inside a grown woman's body. So she moves like a child with a lack of coordination as well, which she has to merge with her later personality when Bella becomes, um, she, she kind of mentally grows into a more mature person and she has to start moving like more of an adult personality uh, as well. And kind of, she has to blend her performances from her childlike performance to her more mature performance throughout the movie. And also in the way she speaks as well. She speaks in this broken English sort of sentence structure, like a child would speak, but she's learning English throughout the movie. So she's got to use turns of phrase to make it sound consistent as well. This entire movie is about the journey of life, but it's just done in a, in a condensed way. She's the mind of a child and ends with, uh, the the mind of an adult in an adult's body, but she basically goes through the entire cycle of uh of childhood, of discovering independence, of learning what to do with that independence, and becoming a fully realized person, and all the things that happen around her shape, who she turns into, and all the people around her, and what they try to do to her, and their influences everyone wants something out of her they all want her to be because she's so easily moldable everybody tries to turn her into their ideal version of what they want her to be but can she maintain her independence and find a balance between everything and be the best possible version of herself is is how the movie goes it's just it's very it's psychologically fascinating to me and it's a very original movie it's it's like frankenstein in a modern setting um it's like if frankenstein was a 
uh, and a more overtly feminist story, but also about uh, this very relatable uh, story of self-growth and independence. Um, like I said, not going to be for everybody. Some people will not get past how weird it is, but if you just if you just get into it, it's also one of the funniest movies I've seen this year. Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> I, I I don't think I've ever seen him in such an overtly comedic role, but he nails it. He gets all the best laughs in the movie. It is incredible. Yeah, it's on my about most of the movies on, on this list. list, but I I should because it's yeah. my top ten. It's funny. It's yeah. It's one of those movies when I talked about you uh, talked to you about this recently, but I walked out of the movie theater for oh, what was it? What did I see before this? I think it was um, Napoleon. Yeah, I walked yeah. out and then I saw like a poster for Poor Things, but it was like in the back in the corner where there were. It was like, is this all the advertisement for the new Emma Stone movie? Yeah, I thought right. that part was really funny. Yeah. Um, so my number five, I'm kind of cheating. It's my only cheat. All right. And on this list, because I'm technically putting both seasons, but that's because I watched both of them this year for the first time. It's the legend of Vox Machina. It's right. no, it's no shocker to anybody who's been listening to the podcast. This show has changed my life. It's it's, it really has. It's just the amount of times I've seen this show is ridiculous. I love each and every character in it. It's just a great animation uh, show that is based off of a D&D campaign of probably the most famous D&D group out there, Critical Role, their first campaign. Every character is iconic. Every character is likable. Each character has great interactions with each other. It's like the Friends version. It's like a version of Friends, but it's D&D, but it doesn't feel like it's D&D. It just feels like a well-paced action comedy dramatic show the storytelling in it is amazing all the characters are great and then season two just elevates everything um <clears throat> the animation style still is the exact same like but you can tell each character is given almost their own episodic backstory in a way but also just it, their backstory is delved into like 10 times more than it was in the first season and I really love that favorite episode is probably Grog and his uncle fi uh, fighting Kevdek. Um, just a great overall story. Um, I've talked to, about the show to death, so <laughs> we can we can move on. But yeah, it's changed my life. Number four for me is Picard season three. I am probably on record as saying, actually, I don't know if I'm on record for this show, but I did not like the first two seasons of Picard very much. The first few episodes of season one, yeah, that had that had potential, and then face planted. They didn't even get off Earth for the first three episodes. Come on. And season two, okay, it's cool, boring. cool. The first few episodes are good. Oh, and then they spend the whole last rest of the season on modern day Earth. Damn it. It's boring. Didn't really get into the characters. It was just the writing was weak. They made one of the best role models in fiction history and this sad, broken old man who's a shell of his former self. Patrick Stewart's great in it, but it just, it was just weak all around. And then had the biggest 180 I've ever seen on a TV show in season three. And Next Generation, I think, 
we this is our last episode with top 10 TV shows of all time. Next Generation is my favorite show of all time, and Picard Season 3 was a return to form for Next Generation. They brought all the old Next Generation cast back for this one, for one final hurrah, and it was everything I could have wished it to be. They finally got the writing for the characters correct. They basically scrapped the entire supporting cast for the first two seasons and brought a whole a whole bunch of new people back in. And even the ones who did return, they finally wrote them to be likable and and memorable. the The character dynamics were uh, were uh, exceptional and. Uh, I bought in all of them. The story was an intriguing mystery. I, I really wanted to see what was going on. They explore a part of Picard's life that he never really got to have, uh, that he never really got to experience before. Uh, he finally finds a new chapter for himself, and that like that was really interesting to watch what he does uh, with this stage of his life now. Uh, he finally... He gets to catch up with some of his old friends and reminisce on life together and where they're at now as older people and where they could go from here. And a big galaxy-wide threat that it feels like only Starfleet's best and brightest uh, could have solved. Uh, the next-gen crew was the, the flag... Their Enterprise was the flagship of the fleet. They were the best of the best of their time. And they gotta be the ones to save the galaxy again now. And it was a threat that I appreciated because it tied into old Star Trek lore from the 90s too. I was seeing, when they finally revealed what was going on, I'm like, oh wow, you're you're paying off plot points from like three of the shows from 30 years ago. I'm like, wow, that's, that was, wow, somebody respects the lore. That was actually really good twists, what you did with this. Basically, all, all the plot lines finally converge in a satisfying way. Uh, there's a lot of nostalgia bait in there, but it felt earned this time. All the characters finally feel like more well-realized versions of themselves in the future. They don't feel unrecognizable. Picard finally feels like Picard again, which is great for me because Next Gen's my favorite show and Picard is arguably my greatest fictional role model. So to finally see him brought back to his glory in live action in a modern setting that I'm seeing live because I wasn't around for Next Generation's original run. That was incredibly impactful for me. And they brought the hope back to Star Trek. The first two seasons were way too dreary, but they brought back the themes of the franchise that I adore and came to love it for in the first place. It was just an all-around great feeling season with uh, a very satisfying conclusion, and I I don't think there's going to be more. I feel like this is a good ending, and if, if they end the story of the Next Generation crew here, I'm happy with that. It's a better ending than they got originally, in, in their movie series, it feel uh, oh yeah, it just, it tied together everything that people disliked from the movies and the first two seasons of Picard, and it just, it redeemed a lot and, and wrapped it up perfectly.
Nice. Good pick. Um, my number four is Spider-Man 2 PS5. This okay. was the game. It's my only game of the list, surprisingly. But um, it is the game that I was most hyped for since they announced it. <laughs> since they announced like a teaser for it, I think a year ago or a couple years ago. I knew Venom was going to be a big part of it. I bought the freaking collector's edition. There's a Venom statue in my room. I'm not going to move anything to show it because that's a hassle. But yeah, just it's a... a cool it's a great statue. I love it. Um, it's just... It's funny how they adapted... Uh, I won't get too heavy into spoilers, but um, their version of Venom is not Eddie Brock. It's a different character because Eddie Brock doesn't work in this or isn't in this universe. But the way they go about adapting Venom is somehow more closer to the source material than like Tobey Maguire's version or obviously the um, Tom Hardy Hardy. version. Uh, But it's like overall... It's just a great version of Venom as well. The f- When the actual boss... There's more boss battles than there is in the original Spider-Man game. Um, the boss battles in this game are great. The side content is amazing. Only gripe with it is that not all the suits from previous games are in this one, but there is some new suits that are really cool. Um, apparently, there's going to be some a new Game Plus coming out soon, so who knows what else they're going to add. The swinging hasn't done isn't like made that much of a big leap. There is like the gliding, which makes traveling around a lot easier. It's hard there's to top some, perfection. Yeah. Very hard to top perfection, but there's some idiots out there. They're like, Oh, they implemented gliding too early. And now it, I just glide everywhere. It's like, well, that's your fault for hmm. being an idiot and just gliding everywhere. Um, the fast travel system is absolutely insane. I can't describe it without actually visually showing it. You literally go onto your map and you can pick any area you want to fast travel, like any street corner, hold down X for like two seconds, and then you're there instantly. It's insanely fast, just the power of the PS5. And it's so good. The fighting's immaculate. Um, uh, There is is quite a difference between playing as Peter or Miles. Uh, There is the different fighting styles. You're definitely more of like a stealthier approach as Miles than um, than Peter, um, but Peter is a bit more of a stronger uh, person to play as. But it doesn't really feel like it because they're you know they're both Spider Man. Um, yeah, just a phenomenal, great story of you know the symbiote suit and how they adapt it into the Insomniac universe. Um, the relationship between Peter and Harry and MJ is expanded upon. Um, from the first game, and it's really well done. They've even had little clues to set up for the third game, which I think is great. Craven the Hunter is probably one of the most phenomenal antagonists that they've had in this game. And um, there's a few twists and turns that have been in the story that kind of change who you're fighting in the end. But it's just an overall great game. Did they play it safe? Yes, but... By them playing it safe, they still made a phenomenal game. And, yeah, I I loved it. All right. Number three, Legend of Vox Machina, season two. Everything you said about this show, I concur. For me, the best part about Legend of Vox Machina is the characters. The plots are 
incredible as well. I need to stop saying incredible. I've said it way too many times. But the real draw of Vox Machina to me is the character dynamics and how they interact with each other, their banter, their camaraderie as a as a group of adventurers. Um, everybody in there could be somebody's favorite. All the voice actors do such an incredible job. Their stories are all so compelling, and I want to see where every one of them go. I've they're one of the best ensemble casts I've seen in anything, really, and I've seen a lot of good ensemble casts. Um, they they just play off each other so magnificently. But the plot of season two as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not as focused as season one was with the with the Briarwood arc. Okay, but season two is more about let's get all these special items to try and take down the Chroma Conclave. And in the midst of this quest to find all these MacGuffins, we're going to go through a bunch of character stories along the way, which felt a little bit more subtle. Season one was largely about Percival who takes a bit of a backseat in season two, but everyone else I came to enjoy a lot more because they all, everyone gets a moment to shine in season two. It's just this beautifully produced action adventure series, whole lot of heart in it. Even the characters who I didn't love in season one, like Scanlan, who just seemed a bit more of a comic relief somewhat two-dimensional womanizer. He gets a great story in season two. He's one of the standouts for me in the back half of the year where he finally grows a bit of a spine, starts taking some responsibility. He's he's on a great trajectory now. And uh, Legend of Vox Machina inspired me to start, I don't have time to watch Critical Role, but I started listening to Critical Role and seeing the more um, subtle moments of the show um, that you have more time to explore and Critical Role is great. But where I'm at in Critical Role so far, the show is a very faithful adaptation of the source material too. They, they really captured what made Campaign 1 so great in its original form, but they brought it into a different medium with... Um, just with a lot of with a lot of skill. It's just it's a great show in its own right. If you never played D and D, if you never heard of Critical Role, it's just a great fantasy show that kind of comes out of nowhere and it just engrosses you in its world. Has an incredible plot, fantastic characters, and it's just a genuine joy to watch. Just makes you feel good watching it. Ryan's seen it four times this year. It's Hey, hey, hey. Three. Will I see it a fourth time before season three comes out? Yes. Have I already started? Maybe. <laughs> but don't you call me out <laughs> on stuff that's true. <laughs> I'm just saying it's it's so good. You it's can so do that. good. <laughs> it's so good. You find a lot if they ever more. come to Toronto for a love for a live audience, I'm watching. I don't care. I'm buying tickets. Hundred <laughs> percent. 
All right, so that's my number three. All right, my number three is... It's got a prop. Last of okay. Us. Yep. It's The Last of Us. All right, I was wondering when that show up. This show made me believe you can do video game adaptations and have them be phenomenal. I mean, yeah, did they hire or did they allow the guy who created the games to be a creative director? Yes. But maybe that's what you got to fucking do. Instead of shows like, and I brought up before, the Halo show, where they're like, nah, fuck you, original source material. We're going to make our own story because we want to be original and new when you're just bashing the source material and you're just pissing off original fans. That's not what you do. Here... And The Last of Us, what it does is takes the source material, does the source material, but also expands on it. I bet if you went back in 2013 when the original game came out and you asked, oh, who are your favorite characters? Nobody would have said Bill and, Bill and Frank. No one would have said Tess. No one probably would have said um, David and Henry. Henry. Sam and Henry. David's or, a completely different. Oh, David's yeah, wrong. No, David, David's David the bad guy. <laughs> Yeah, every, um, David, Ryan's favorite. No, don't you dare. <laughs> <laughs> don't you dare, you son of a bitch. <laughs> um, yeah, but now with this new adaptation, the show, Bill and Frank is probably the most talked about episode of the show. Um, it's a phenomenal episode just about love and how these two are able to find love in this hellhole of an apocalyptic world and how they're able to just sort of trust each other in a world where you can't really trust anybody. It's just a beautiful episode all around. It's funny. I haven't rewatched the show at all, but just like, I remember a scene <laughs> that popped up in that episode where like Bill and Frank are arguing and Frank says something and it's like, not everybody's bad and the government aren't all Nazis. And then Bill goes, the government are all Nazis. <laughs> well, they are now, but back then they weren't. <laughs> uh, it's just really, it was a really funny uh, scene. But yeah, just Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey's performance are phenomenal. They do just as good a job as Troy Baker and Ashley Johnson. I mean, they're both masters of their own medium. Um, I will say, you know, people will always say the game is probably better at doing it. But as, as adaptations go, they did a phenomenal job. I mean, I mean, the changes in it aren't even that big. There isn't that many like gigantic changes that they do. It's more small ones that you would really have to look out for. Um, but it's just great stuff. And yeah, like you said, I don't care that you don't see as many zombie fights because it's not a zombie show. It's just a show that happens to be about people in a zombie world. It's about the people in it. That's what makes sense. And it's the last of us, not Joel and Ellie. Yeah, exactly. It's the not last about of us is more than two people. Yeah, the clickers aren't, like, you can't be scared of clickers if you're just going to murder them every other scene, or bloaters. I mean, people people who want to see more action are just like, of course, those are the video game people, but, like, I guarantee you, you didn't go through one playthrough of The Last of Us and never died. Like, you definitely did. Um, if you have done that, congratulations. You're, go touch grass. But <laughs> the show itself... It's just so good. The chemistry between the two leads are fantastic. The expanding the characters of the side characters are amazing. 
Yeah, it's just, it's the perfect, it is the perfect video game adaptation. Fingers crossed for season two. Don't know what they're going to do there. Uh, I hear they're not. I think it's not coming out till 2025 because there was a conflict in Pedro Pascal's schedule or something like that. I don't know. He's in everything now. Yeah. But yeah. Um, We'll find out what happens for people who don't know what happens in Last of Us Part 2. I still don't know if they're going to do the modern day story. Like, Last of Us Part 2 is weird because it's a lot of flashbacks interspersed with a modern day storyline. I don't know how they're going to do it. They could easily make season two just about the flashbacks from Last of Us 2 because there's enough material in there you could do a whole season on that. And Bella Ramsey's not old enough to play Ellie in part two yet. But Right. Like, or at least I I don't think Bella Ramsey is. They don't look like Ellie did in part two yet. Need right. to get a little older. Unless Bella Ramsey, like they did, they just go to the gym and just beef up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> does, does the Hugh Jackman Wolverine diet. Just, <laughs> I'm not talking about like the Abby character, but just Ellie was a, just like, looks a little bit more, I don't know, muscle toned in last of us part two. I don't know. Well, Abby in last of us part two is in her mid twenties. I don't know how old Bella Ramsey is. Is she damn? Hmm. Yeah. I, th- I think Ellie's, I think Bella Ramsey, early, I think well, they're early 20s. like just 20 or something. Yeah. Something like yeah. that. I mean, Ellie's 14 in the first one and a lot of time passed between part one and two. They were in Bella Jackson. Ramsey, for a they are. Yeah, they're they were born in 2003, so they're just 20. OK, and how old was Ellie in part two? Oh, gosh. Ellie age. 19. No, that's Ramsey, you fucking Google. God damn it. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, Ellie was 19 in part two. Oh, okay. And so, they do, Ellie does not look 19 in that game. No. I guess the, the apocalypse ages you. Anyway, back I to our list. I bet it does. <laughs> <laughs> back to our list in my number two. Star Trek Strange New World Season 2. My favorite show on television right now. It is everything Star Trek should be at its core. It's about hope and idealism and a community of people coming together to overcome greater problems. It's about it's about trying to make the world a, a better tomorrow through the actions of today. Uh, trying to overcome hate and xenophobia and prejudice to build a society of equals and and just and all the great things we can do when we get over ourselves really um but it's also a cool action show about scientists on spaceships going to strange new worlds and finding a lot of weird threats there that they have to overcome with their minds or with lasers or whatever it takes to get over these problems and usually have a good moral lesson at the end of it too. They range from pretty conventional and suspenseful fare to super strange. There was a whole episode of season two that was just a musical and it, and it, it charted on, uh, I think, the Apple 
Apple Music charts. It actually, the soundtrack for that charted because it was actually a very good musical. Who knew that cast could sing for a whole episode? Uh, for the nostalgia baiters out there, we also have uh, great adaptations of classic characters like Kirk and Spock and Uhura and Nurse Chapel. And Anson Mount's Captain Pike is another one of my role models. I, I never, you know, Picard is a classic role model, great classic TV character. But Anson Mount's Pike in just a couple of years has already shot up my list of some of my favorite TV characters of all time. He's sensational in that role. Just this sensitive, down-to-earth man, very good at navigating his crew, has a good moral head about him, but he's kind of flawed when it comes to indecisiveness sometimes. He, he wants to believe in people a little bit more than he should. He can be slightly naive at times, and he'll, he'll hesitate when he needs to make some calls. Um, like in the end of the season two finale, which is infuriating. It's, it's a great cliffhanger and I need to see how it goes down. Um, Strange New Worlds can be a little bit of everything. It's just really cool, episodic sci-fi stories. I love that in this era of serialized TV, we have a show that goes back to classic TV where it's it's 10 solid episodes a season. Every episode, they're doing something weird and different. But the cast is all incredible as well. I look at a show like Star Trek Discovery, where we're four seasons in, and I still don't know the name of the bridge crew. I, I just know the main two or three characters. Whereas Strange New Worlds, by the end of its first season, I knew the main seven or eight characters in the cast. And they're only getting better in season two. They have new characters show up in season two and they somehow take some of my least favorite characters of season one and brought them up to near the top of my list for season two. Like Lon specifically was the one where I never really thought about her much in season one. Now she's one of my favorites at the end of season two. How did you make her so interesting in one year? You gave her such this tragic and harrowing story and force her to go through it all internally. She can't talk to anybody else about it because of how it all shakes out. Uh, Nurse Chapel and Spock's relationship, the, the romantic tensions on the ship as well. They, like Their personal lives are a mess and they intermingle with all these catastrophes. Uh, the episode with, um, to me, one of the most impactful episodes of the season was the one where uh, this Klingon diplomat who was this they call him the butcher in, in the Klingon war. He butchered so many innocent Federation citizens. And now he's a diplomat for the empire and they have to welcome him aboard this starship where all these war veterans working for Starfleet are like, okay, but we fought this guy and he was a monster. Why do we have to welcome him as a diplomat? This is crazy. And the people who didn't fight in the war are like, well, it's just politics. I don't know what to tell you. And they're like, well, you weren't there. So it's all these fascinating moral conundrums and how do you how do you handle it? Well, you're not going to piss off the ambassador in peacetime. You already fought the war. It's over. But can you get over it? There's um one of the most impactful ones for me was Spock's crisis of self-identity where he finally he gets all these emotions and he becomes basically a a different person and he's got to 
hide the fact that he's got emotions from his uh, soon-to-be step-parents so he doesn't make an embarrassment out of himself. And he's he's caught between two worlds. He's caught between his human side and his Vulcan heritage. And that one resonated a lot with me because I come from uh, mixed heritage. I've got a lot of different sides I draw from. I don't really know where I belong sometimes. I feel like I'm in this weird in-between of a lot of different cultures and people. I don't know. Like, So Spock is one of my most relatable characters in, in fiction as well. He's been my favorite character in the franchise for a long time. I I admire a lot about Spock and episodes like that are very important for me to see just that relatable struggle of, okay, where do I belong? Which side of me is important to draw on at this time? And who am I really if between all these mixing parts? And uh, I even told Ethan Peck that when I met him at um, at Fan Expo, I told him how great he was in that episode because I, I, I had to be sure to tell him because that episode meant a lot to me. And just, well, like, hey, I, I didn't get into all the everything, but I just said, hey, uh, the, you were fantastic in that episode. My whole family loved it. Uh, you're great in the show. So it's, um, yeah, the show does a lot for me as a sci-fi fan, for as a, somebody who likes philosophy, great character drama, um, emotional storylines. It's just incredible TV. Nice. Good choice. Did he say anything to you or is he just like, thanks? <laughs> well, he thanked me, but he seemed, he seemed to genuinely Tired. appreciate it. Oh, okay. <laughs> he said like, like, thank you, man. Like he's. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Like he's not necessarily. Yeah. He, he seemed My number. Oh, sorry. It. Yeah. Got a good picture awesome. of him too. Well, my number two, just barely, barely. Coming in second place, or almost coming in first, but it's got to be number two for me after looking back on it, is uh, Oppenheimer. This was probably the movie I was most hyped on going into this year, because I've always said, you know, why haven't they made a biopic about Oppenheimer? Uh, Just, like, it's the guy who created the atom bomb you know, it's, it's the guy it would be such an amazing biopic I'm surprised they haven't made one in like modern cinema in a while uh, and then I learned that they were making one and that Christopher Nolan was behind it and Killian Murphy was at the helm or the lead actor <clears throat> and I was super excited for it um, and then I watched it and I completely fell in love with it fantastic movie all around I just rewatched it over Christmas with my brother great movie, the acting is stellar Killian Murphy is phenomenal all the side. Um, characters are great as well. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, Christopher Nolan's like directing style from what it's going between like Strauss's point of view or um, Oppenheimer's and then the past to the present, how that interweaves. It's actually flows really well in my opinion and kind of puts you on the edge of your seat. The actual testing of the bomb, the Trinity test is somehow the most tense I've ever been while watching a movie, even though I know nothing bad's going to happen. It's just the idea of like, oh, this thing that, you know, these scientists that put $2 billion 
of money into could potentially destroy the world because they want to send a message um, is so well done. And then after the actual bomb exploding, all the politics of, okay, where do we drop it in Japan? Where would it be the most impactful? Well, we can't do it in any military targets. It has to be civilians because we've got to show them mass casualties as possible, which is morally just so dark to think about. And then the aftermath of, you know, Oppenheimer kind of regretting what he did, but also not at the same time. Just a well-told story about history and America's history with Oppenheimer and communism as a whole and how complex it really was. I mean, you know, throughout, like, growing up, you always were like, communism, bad, capitalism, number one. But then you just realize, it's like, no, there's just some people who just, like, had certain ideals that weren't communists and, you know... It's just, it's just, I think Christopher Nolan told this story in the most fair way possible. I don't really think he took too many creative liberties with it. Um, but just overall, a phenomenal movie. Yeah. It's my number one, so I'll keep going on that conversation. Oppenheimer is the only movie last year I saw twice. And second time I was lucky enough to see it in... 70 millimeter IMAX. Oh, let's go. Nice. In one of the only theaters in the country that was showing it at, down at the um, Colossus Theater in, uh, in Vaughn there. Uh, fantastic experience. I've never seen a movie where they use the entire IMAX screen for so much of it. It was, oh, wow. This is actually an experience. Um which I think it really helped to watch the second time because there's a lot I missed the first time. The first time yeah. I spent a, I I wasted a lot of time trying to figure out how the timelines worked. What was going on with Strauss? When did things take place? The second time I was listening more to the dialogue and appreciating appreciating the acting and the dialogue and the and stuff like that more than just wow, pretty production values and cinematography and bomb. Wow, I could, like, the whole theater was silent for that. You could hear a pin drop. Uh, one of the only times I've heard a theater so silent in my life. That was, yeah, that was uh, very memorable. It's, my favorite part about Oppenheimer is the philosophical dread. Uh, yep. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry about. I said no spoilers, but the the ending of the movie, that final conversation of, um, do you remember when I said we could destroy the world? Yeah. Well, I'm. I wonder if I did. It just I don't paraphrasing it, but just that idea of Oppenheimer is the guy who gave us the tools to destroy ourselves. Just this, this, this one guy started, um, I mean, I know there was a lot of scientists that contributed to it. He was just the figurehead for it. They were doing stuff like this all around the world, but he was the guy who under his leadership made it happen. And thanks to his work, we have the capability as a, race to destroy our entire planet it's absolutely 
insane to think about that. On a, I, I can't imagine being a guy who has an idea that I can make happen that would kill all life on Earth if people actually used it, and then they actually made it, and then they actually used it. And it worked very well for what they wanted it to do. So many tens of thousands of lives were lost for it. But I also got Oppenheimer's perspective of, okay, but if they don't use it, they won't know that they shouldn't use it. <laughs> you can think theoretically yeah. all day, but until you see it dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, you don't know that it's a weapon that should never be used again. So it's arguably, okay, well, maybe the other side of the coin was maybe Oppenheimer saved the human race by giving us a weapon of such mass destruction that we could never escalate warfare that bad ever again. And so far we haven't mm -hmm. for the last 70 years have been actually relatively peaceful for world history. I mean, I'm sure, you know, obviously we have wars and... Israel, Palestine, Ukraine, Russia, but that's those are news because they're weird for us in our lifetime. We don't have many wars the last right. decades. Like the the wars that have been there are news. It's not just a fact of life anymore. They're not as big as they used to be in in the last few world wars. It's they're not nuclear level and they may never be again if people are smart and that's, that's the thing about Oppenheimer is he either destroyed us all or gave us the, or gave us the ultimate, Oh, okay. This is where warfare can actually lead within people's lifetimes. They saw the devastation that weapon can bring. And this is what will happen to us all if we use it. And I, I love the, the dread that even the test for Trinity could have led to a chain reaction that destroyed the entire planet. I know it was a near zero chance, so the movie and the <laughs> research says, but even just that idea that just testing the bomb could have wiped out the entire planet. And why are we doing this again? Just war. <laughs> Do we need this weapon? Do we really need it? Well, that, that's part of the debate. And I, I like how Oppenheimer in his life and Nolan in his showcasing of it, they Oppenheimer never really had seemed to have an opinion one way or the other. It was like, well, yeah, like we needed it, but also I kind of regret making it at the same time, but also it was yeah, but I also like how his disillusionment happened more after the fact when they did use it and then the Cold War happened and both sides just kept escalating and they just kept making bigger bombs and he's like, but why? It's bad enough. We don't, yeah. we don't need to make them bigger or worse and keep stockpiling. We should be de-escalating. And then they're like, ah, you're a communist. What do you... You're trying to <laughs> you're trying to hamper the American efforts. Get out of here. But I also like the whole other side of the movie with Richard Strauss and how him trying to discredit Oppenheimer for um just to upgrade himself in American society. That's um that's another element to it, just the the politicking. 
if Oppenheimer stayed in charge, he he probably would have spearheaded de-escalation more. But then guys like Richard Strauss trying to get themselves up on the social ladder of American politics, tear down this guy who's trying to aim for peace just to prop himself up. So it's kind of about how society is pretty cutthroat like that. Yeah. There's a lot to it. It was a wild time. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah, crazy time to have been alive around that uh, era. Just both, just like the political tension like going on in the States and how much like the Red Scare looking back on it was kind of a joke and how serious it was treated and how much they like blacklisted people and how many people lost their jobs or even their lives because of it. It's just crazy time. So is now today's era of American politics yeah. is going to look be looked on as a joke too in a few decades. It's a joke now. <laughs> Not uh, to Americans, but to everybody else looking in sees the extremism yeah. and yeah, it's pretty uh pretty ridiculous. Um so my number 1 of the year Surprised it didn't make your list, but I understand your point of view was across the Spider-Verse. Is that why you this, were you look like you were going to you were going to suffocate. I, yeah, I I was a little shocked, but I understand your point of view. However, I don't care. I had so much fun watching Fair this enough. movie. It is beautifully well animated. Um, the story I think just expands more from um from the first movie. It just, in terms of like the multiverse, I think it does the multiverse the best that it's any multiverse movie it did this year, which seemed to be the trend of Hollywood. Like what multiverse movie can we release in 2023? Um, and I just love the character of Miguel and how he feels that, you know, he's sort of, he's the head of this spider society and he has to protect the multiverse. And he's sort of been taking down this dark path of, well, you know, he has to accept that, you know, certain people have to die in order to make sure the multiverse lives. But then there's, and most of the Spider-Verse society feels that way. But Miles, as a character, as a new Spider-Man, is like, we're Spider-Man. Like, we can save whoever we want. It's not about, like, letting people die. It's like, we have to, we have to at least try. That's the whole point about being Spider-Man. And I love that sequence when he's being, you know, chased by the spider-man people and just how he kind of tricks them into you know getting them away from uh the teleporter it's a really great scene but just overall the action in is stellar the spot is a hilarious villain that just Would turns into spectacular amazing uh-huh. perhaps uh-huh incredible no uh <laughs> that's the hulk idiot um superior <laughs> trying to think of another one nope can't think of one um ultimate <laughs> uh man uh but yeah i think the action in this movie is phenomenal uh the frame rate drop isn't i don't think it's really in this movie that, that it was in the first one maybe it is subtly and i just can't tell um i think it was but miles yeah but miles in this movie you just tell he's honed in more of his spider-man skill in this movie the musical score is phenomenal. The relationship between him, his mother, and his dad are all well told. 
The comedy is so smart. His, you know, little little budding romance with Gwen Stacy is so cute and everybody wants them to get together and there's such like a complex history between the two of why they haven't seen each other and why they haven't. I understand it does suffer a little bit from being a part one, but to me it, it just feels like this is the Empire Strikes Back of this trilogy where... Yes, there's still a lot left on the table, but still left you with a little bit of stuff to satisfy you in the ending, especially with Gwen Stacy's whole story. And I'm still hyped for the next one. You know, it's going to be, all right, let's let's fight, you know, the spot. Let's save this person to make sure they stay alive. And just the conflict, the the moral conflict between Miles and Miguel is is really well done because you can kind of see where Miguel's coming from, but just the way he goes about things is, uh, really poor. Um, not in terms of like writing, but just, uh, in terms of his choices as a person or as a Spider-Man. And it just, it's a, it's, across the Spider-Verse is not just a great Miles story, but it's just a love letter to the character of Spider-Man. And I really loved it. For sure. Well, that's our top lists. You want to run through them all? Yeah, sure. Alrighty. One more time. Well, my number 10, Barbie. 9, Guardians Volume 3. 8, Dungeons & Dragons, Honor Run Thieves. 7, Kills of the Flower Moon. 6, John Wick Chapter 4. 5, Legend of Vox Machina. 4, Spider-Man 2, PS5. 3, The Last of Us. 2, Oppenheimer. 1, Across the Spider-Verse. 10, The Color Purple. 9, The Iron Claw. 8, The Last of Us. 7, Killers of the Flower Moon. 6, John Wick, Chapter 4. 5, Poor Things. 4, Picard, Season 3. 3, Legend of Vox Machina, Season 2. 2, Strange New World, Season 2. Number 1, Oppenheimer. I thought we would have at least half our lists cross over, but there were, there were some unexpected ones in there. Yeah, fun. a little unexpected ones, but, you know, good lists, subjective lists, and Noah outright, like, wah, you know what I mean? <laughs> no major upsets. No. For sure. Man uh, advocates for Barbie and doesn't even put it on his list. Wow, look at him. <laughs> Barbie was my number 11 on my top movie oh, list. Just squeezed by. Dang. Yeah. For top, okay, I'll, I'll just I'll run you down my list of movies and shows just just quick, just because we're at the end. Whatever. Uh, so my honorable mentions for my movies list: Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Blackberry, Godzilla minus one, Barbie, and then ten across the Spider Verse, The Holdovers, D and D, Guardians Volume Three, The Color Purple, The Iron Claw, Killers of the Flower Moon, John Wick Chapter Four, Poor Things, and Oppenheimer are my top 10 movies. Uh, I only watched 10 shows of 2023. So, <laughs> uh, 10, Secret Invasion. 9, Black Mirror, Season 6. 8, The Mandalorian, Season 3. 7, The Witcher, Season 3. 6, Frasier. 5, Loki, Season 2. 4, The Last of Us. 3, Picard, Season 3. 2, Vox Machina, Season 2. And number 1, Strange New World, Season 2. Was my more specific movies and TV list. Gotcha. If you're curious. Pretty decent list. Need to mention. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, all right, so that'll do it for our top 10 lists of 2023. Here's hoping 2024 is just as good. Although with all the strikes last year, I am scared of what I'm movies scared, are going to yeah. look like this year. I feel like the first half of this be year is going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. Because all those movies were still being made, but the back half of this year, by the time we get to the summer movies... May not be great. I don't know what to expect, but we could have fun talking about a worst list. It might get that bad. Ooh, that'd be fun. <laughs> Next year, well, 2024 was a train wreck. <laughs> so here's just... Our yeah. top 10 list of... Things that were ruined by the strike. <laughs> that would basically be it, yeah. All right, so where can we find you? Well, you can find me at Ryan Walker Official on YouTube, TikTok, and on Instagram. You can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at Thought Play Media. Also, check out the close-up with Ryan and Joe Facebook page for latest updates on the show. If you listen to us in audio, check out our YouTube channel. And if you're on YouTube, find us anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. We hope to see you on the next close-up with Ryan and Joe, where we give you a more in-depth review of the Iron Claw. Till next time. Take care. <laughs>